kick off your boots and put down your hunting knife. It's time for the Outdoor Man Podcast with the man himself, Outdoor Man Dan. Join us for fun stories, useful how-tos, and insights into what being an outdoorsman means today and what it may mean in the future. From ethical hunting and conservation to new stories to tell around the fire. Let's get into today's show with your host, Outdoor Man Dan. So my name's Simon Lemon. I am one of the co-founders of Steady's Code 14, currently a serving police officer with Devon Corn Police. I'm a sergeant on the uh, firearms team um, based at Plimpton, Plymouth. And Steve and I sort of got, have got together. We'll, we can tell you the story of, of how it all came about, but we're the kind of the co-founders of Steady's Code 14. Yeah, so hi, my name's um, Steve Dredge. As Simon said, I'm one of the uh, co-founders, uh, co-founders with him. I recently retired from the police force, police service, so I'm probably the happiest person in the room. Um, just completed a 30-year career uh, combined military and police service. Um, a few bumps on the way, but I'm sure that'll come out in the story as we talk. But um, yeah, so there's two, there's four of us instead, it's Code 14 altogether, and you've got two of us here today. Cool. I've met three of the four of you, haven't I? Yeah. So how did, how did this monumental task come about? To be honest, yeah, it's, so it's kind of grown organically, I suppose, but it all came to kind of a, an idea from me because of what happened to Steve. And probably the easiest way is if Steve explains what happened to him and then I can then explain how we came up with Stellis Code 14, what the name means, um, which is what everyone asks, and then why the five challenges that we've, we've come up with. So about 15 years ago, Simon and I were both on a team called Tactical A Group um, and we were travelling back from a job one night and he said, you want to row the Atlantic? And I was like, no, mate, that's, uh, it's, it's a dangerous thing to do. Why would anyone want to do that? About 10 years ago, Simon came to me again. He said, you want to row the Atlantic? I said, mate, nothing's changed. It's still dangerous. No, why would I want to do it? Then in 2017, I got diagnosed with PTSD. As I said, 30-year career, police and the military. Um, certain things happen, certain things you deal with, you think you've got them all sorted out, and then something comes along, bites you on the arse, and you realise that maybe you haven't. So I, we were, we'd been on the firearms team for a while together, Simon and I had come off, um, various reasons, hearing being one of them. And I went through a period of, I wouldn't do too well at all. I'd been to an incident on New Year's Eve 2016 going into 2017. And it wasn't the worst incident I've dealt with. It wasn't the bloodiest, the nastiest, the most violent. Dealt with plenty of other uh, incidents. And this was just one of many. But there was a connection between me and the person involved in that uh, that I didn't realise until a later date. And some of the stuff that he said and did became very real. And it uh, triggered off a series of... Some people called them night terrors. I couldn't sleep. I was having real trouble sort of focusing during the day. What it seemed to do was trigger memories of all the other incidents I had dealt with. Not the nice incidents, but the, you know, the nasty incidents. And um, they all came flowing back in glorious visual technicolour, sight, smell, you know, at night during the daytime. If I was out, if I was in a crowd of people and I saw a certain type of hairstyle, certain item of clothing, it would take me back to an RTC, a murder scene, something where we dealt with something, you know, particularly nasty. To cope with that, I, I've always liked my fizz and my sport. So because I was asleep at night, I threw myself into a lot of fizz. I was running. I was going out running every day, doing ridiculous miles. I took up cold water swimming. And it, yes, it was all helping, but 
I was trying to make myself tired throughout the day so I could sleep at night, but I still wasn't sleeping at night. So it just got into a really nasty, vicious circle of nightmares, daymares, flashbacks, if you want to call them that, um, and not being able to sleep. Got to the point, there was a very innocuous advert on TV. I don't know whether anyone listening remembers it, but it's the Lloyds Bank advert, the Black Horse advert on TV. So um, filmed on the beach in Ireland, I think. There's a crowd of people running down the beach. Oh, sorry, the horses are running down the beach, and a crowd of people come over the sand dune. They approach the horses. Little boy with Down syndrome goes up, throws his arms around the horse and gives it a hug. When I came on TV, I absolutely broke down the tears. Don't know why. Um, yeah, I like horses. Um, I hurt people, but literally burst into tears. And my wife looked at me and she said, you need help. Uh, you definitely need to go speak to somebody. That was kind of trigger. The emotion prior to that, um, I'd been hiding. So that was anger. You know, I was feeling very, very angry at everything. And I knew that I couldn't trust myself to be back out on the street and working. Otherwise, it got very messy. I'd have either you know, broken down in someone's room or I'd an instant, you know, cry my eyes out, you know, shaking in the corner. Or if it got violent, I wouldn't have to control my temper. So, you know, I was trying to hide all these things and these layers all the time. And it just got to a point where I thought, oh, I've got to go and get help. I tried drinking as well, uh, drinking red wine, you know, to help me sleep. Obviously, that's, that's a no-go for me. Um, and a slippery slope. Slippery soap indeed. And, and I, I didn't want to start going down to that. I went to my own doctor. First thing he did was prescribe meds. One of my roles was in the police. I was a drugs liaison officer. So I know the effects that those drugs can have on people. I've seen toxicology reports on uh, drug-related deaths. And a lot of the medicines in there and the meds in there were antipsychotics. I didn't want that. So I strayed away from that. And I think it lasted three days. And I was like, no way. I'm not doing this. So then... I couldn't cope any longer on my own. I went into work, uh, but it was really hard. It was a hard thing to do, to walk into the place where I work, to go and speak to someone who I kind of knew. He was the occupational health nurse, a male nurse, who actually used to be on firearms, actually. So it was someone I could relate to, someone I felt safe talking to. But for me to walk into his, into his office and say, I am mental, that was hard. I didn't know whether I'd be thrown out of a job. I didn't know whether I'd lose the role I'd lose my place in the role that I was in. And all these things just stopped me doing that before. Because um, I was yeah, literally scared stiff. I broke down in his office on the floor crying. He stood over me and said, you're not well, are you? And I was like, no, shit, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, can see, I can see why you're a professional. <laughs> so if he hadn't diagnosed something wrong then, then, then yeah, we'd have been in a bad way. So initially, the occupational health unit um, were good. Within Devon and Police at the time, you were allocated, it was six minutes, I think mm. six six sessions with a counsellor, psychologist, whatever you want to call them. And their favourite or the what we refer to or the, the method of treatment that we, I was given was something called CBT. Yeah. I got driven to this other lady out in the middle of um, Dartmoor, dropped off at her house. I went in, I recanted all these tales and told them all my stories. I cried a lot, you know, telling, telling her the tales of all the, recanting the incidents, basically. Came away from that thinking, oh, well, that must be good. I cried, you know, got it all out. Two weeks later, I started having nightmares again, probably worse than last time, more visceral, more colourful, more. It was almost as if the CBT had been enhanced. Yeah, like tune the TV in. Exactly. And I was really upset at that point because I'd had the treatment that was supposed to fix me and it hadn't worked. So I thought, well, where do I go now? What is left? So again, I muddled through for another two or three months uh, on my own, trying to hide it, telling everyone, yes, I'm great, you know, wearing this fake face, this fake mask, this smile that I think a lot of people do to try and cope. And that's what I found. Initially, people were 
no way, not a new judge. You know, you're always happy, always happy. You know, come to you to solve problems. You know, so for me, it was it was really hard to comprehend that. You know, I can fix other people, but I can't fix myself. And once I'd had the treatment that was supposed to fix me, I was devastated. I thought, no, this is even worse. So I had to go back. Client session in the in the consultant's office. He said, oh, well, that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> so then I got allocated a EMDR practitioner who the, the organisation had outsourced. So they found her for me. It was very good. EMDR was something I'd never experienced. Sorry, um, eye movement desensitisation reprogramming. When I got told I was having it, I didn't know what it was, didn't have a clue. Didn't want to research it because I didn't want to tank my opinion of what it was. No expectations of anything. Exactly. And, you know, coppers are always suspicious. We always yeah. you know, want to find out what's going on. So, no, I chose not to. But it was around this time, I think, when the only person I was really speaking to within work was Simon, because I knew I could trust him because the teams we'd worked. Yeah. And um, there was one incident that really sticks in my mind where I'd gone out for a run and I'd been running all day and I found, just found myself in the middle of Bodmin Moor. Didn't know how I got there, didn't know how long I've been running. And it's a case of this is this is bad now. You know, I've had a treatment that hasn't worked. I've tried my fizz to keep me going. And it's a realization I stood there in the middle of the moor and I was like, do I go home or do I just carry on running? I don't know whether I actually contemplated suicide, but it was a case of I just wanted to run away and not go back to my family and be a burden. Yeah. Or go back to my friends and be a burden. Or go back to the job with the embarrassment of you know being mental. That's what I found really hard. So that's when I knew I really had to engage with this new practitioner. I'll go back to that point with the running because that's when Simon pitched the whole... Well, no, go on. You, you take it from there, mate, and I'll pick up the... So, <laughs> Steve, very early on, we, we were talking about a lot, kept in contact, and told me about the incident. And um, very early on, so literally the next day, he sent me a message and I phoned him up. He said, oh, I think I broke my arm in the incident, so therefore I'm off work. So... We then kind of talked a little bit about the effects of um, getting into the the fight. Steve said, "I quite clearly, quite early on, I don't know if I was going to survive." And I was like, "What do you mean?" Well, there was a point where I was I was losing the fight. I was, you know, I thought, you know, goodness me. And then obviously uh, ended up detaining and resting, and, and and everything was fine. But very quickly, kind of Steve started talking about different things, you know, faces, faces of weed, the weed, bodies that we dealt with whilst on the tap labor or certain family members that we'd spoken to or searches that we'd done. And we, we yeah, we, we came across some quite brutal stuff on a daily basis. And I, I remember speaking to thinking, goodness me, I, I was there for all those. I don't have any feelings about it whatsoever. So, but what I was focusing on was the broken arm. So the broken arm and, I, and all I've, we talk, and, and we would talk for, for hours, um, just talking about lots of different things and what, what Steve was going through. And I always came off the phone, always thinking, God, he's, he's not a very good place, but um, at least the arm's getting better. And it got to the point where, where Steve said um, he, he uh, had been running, and I can't remember whether he was in the middle of the moor or back home, but he basically implied to me that he was going to hurt himself. Uh, I can't remember what he said. But again, it was at that realization that I I found strangely, and, and I'd never never thought I would do that. I, I had a quite a, a big unconscious bias about mental health, and about blokes' with mental health and police officers with mental health, and that really shook me. So I then had then this um, 
But yeah, we, we dealt with Steve. You know, it's quite easy then. It was a case of he was saying, I'm going to hurt myself. <laughs> uh, really, was easy. <laughs> what Simon's been is the process was easy. But actually, so, you then go into, you then, it was, it was easy, you, I went into, well, it's, it, it's, you know, two weeks ago, I had a jumper off bridge. And you, you go and speak to them, you go and get, you get them down because of that's what we do, and, and you, you, they then get help. And that's what we do with Steve. He comes wherever it's he that, was. It's that problem shared, problem half thing, isn't it? It is, it is, but, it, but, it, but that was the easy bit for me because it was, I went into this police like that. Yeah. I went into my work mode, right, okay, get yourself, get yourself here, get yourself, speak to Sally, uh, your wife, okay, we need some help. But actually, if he was safe, it was okay. Yeah. So, and I said it was easy because I don't mean that glibly, um, but, but it was the work mode is fine. You go into work mode, you get it sorted, and you move on. So, but that really shook me. It really shook me. Not, not that actually how I dealt with him then, but how I then potentially dealt with him up to this point. And actually the focus was on the um, the broken arm. And I was totally glazing over the mental health aspect. And I felt, I, I struggled that he would talk about things that we'd been there and I didn't have the same reaction. So and add to that, so when I, I've been stabbed on duty, for example, and I've had no real problems mentally with that and that that suddenly though started me thinking um, and the biggest emotion was guilt I was absolutely wracked with a huge amount of guilt and I still am you know when Steve talks about it now I went up still because I'm, I'm still wracked with guilt about how I didn't pick up on it and I didn't actually kind of help him in those early days when when I think I I should and could but the world has changed in the last five years about it hasn't it it's not it's been a very slow process for mental health to come, especially for blokes. And then you've got the forces, well, there are any forces. It's been slow coming with that. It's been a very, very slow process for people to realise, oh, yeah, actually, okay, we need to start looking after blokes. We need to start looking at this. We need to start doing that. Because it hasn't come, has it? Yeah, there really has, and you're right. And so, again, it's kind of... Lots of lots of people talk about their mental health, um, blokes especially. But for me, the biggest biggest time it happened was on a program called SES Who Dares Wins. Yeah. Uh, Jason Fox, who strangely now is, was one of the founders of, of Rock Recovery, one of our charities, but he openly talked about about it. And I think it was season two of the program, and it caught the headlines. Yeah. Really, that actually someone. So the program was very successful. It continued to be successful after um, season one, going to season two, and they continued the format and just how he spoke out about it and, and about what had happened uh, to him. And that was really, I can remember the first time, and lots of people have done it, I'm sure, but for me, that was the first time that, 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 that it had been talked about openly by someone who was in a position where you wouldn't necessarily expect them to, to suffer the mental health aspects. And you're right, it has improved. Derry Corn Police um, has, has done a lot internally and offers a lot internally. But for me, there's still a massive stigma. Yeah. There's a massive stigma. And for... That's guys' problem, isn't it? Women aren't bad because they cluck and they sort things out. I say the word cluck. I don't mean that it's derogatory, but they do. They, they like a good sport. They like a good yarn. 
and they'll, and they'll talk it to death until it's sorted. Mm. Guys will go, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. When we're out and about and we're doing our sort of forward-facing public events, you know, I always want to speak to ladies. I always say, you know, you, you girls have got it sorted. You've got it squared away. You know, they're brought up with things about their body, you know, breast screening, cervical smears, you know, for, um, for cervical cancer. They're used to talking. They're used to being open. But us blokes, it, it's... Just takes to it. It's, it's ridiculous. You know, I was very lucky that I had a really close mate I could talk to in Simon. But there are people out there who still, even with that closeness of a colleague, a friend, they can't open up. And that's what you know we're trying to do, is just raise awareness and, and say, God, guys, look, if anything is wrong, physically or mentally, get into it early. Put that hand in the air and ask for help. Surely there's something mental like what you're doing. Yeah. So, 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 what? Okay. Yeah, so, mental is yeah. the absolute exact word. And this is so, bear in mind, I've been asked once 15 years ago, again, 10 years ago to go and the Atlantic. So, after the run, after finding myself on the moor, after being referred to EMDR, Simon comes over for a visit one day. And you can see, you know, I'm, I'm improving. I am making, you know, small steps. I'm still doing loads of fees. And he said, look, he said, because I, need I needed something to focus on. I needed um, a future, if you like. Yeah. So he says, um, John wrote the Atlantic. And at that point, I didn't really give a shit about what happened to me. I was like, do you know what? I don't care. Let's, let's go and row the Atlantic. And I think Simon said, if we're going to do it, let's do it for a reason. And that's how we came to be, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So, so for, for me, it was, I remember having numerous conversations with Steve saying, if it's happened to you, mm. then it must be happening to lots of other people. So if it's happening to lots of other people, what can we do? So... I, I came up with some really weird, <laughs> weird thing. You know, let, let's do a 24-hour phone line that, you know, we, we, we've kind of been through it. So, therefore, we can offer um, offer some advice um, and it'd be non-clinical. But, of course, you're reinventing the wheel because you've got organisations such as Samaritans, which, you know, are just a fantastic organisation. The 12th man do a good thing there as well. Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the yeah. man down. You know, yeah, they, they, you know, there are, and so therefore it was a case of right, okay, so that that's a no, you know, and also it would cost money. Yeah. So so, and we haven't got that initial outlay of money. So it was a case of right, okay, so let's 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 talk about something else we could do. Um, we'd already talked about something like rowing the Atlantic, but actually, um, a lot of people row the Atlantic. Well, that's that's wrong. People row the Atlantic, and and it's their it's their one thing they do. If, if it's we, not. Like putting anybody down here, it's not a big thing anymore, is it? It's been done. Yeah. And that stigma has been made yeah. a lot smaller. I mean, yeah. it is still a big thing. It's yeah. fucking long way and you wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, but absolutely. You know, you, yeah, you're right. So, so it was a case of then let's do that, but let's do some other things as well. Let's do. Let's. So when we when we go to, and this this is where I think we we slightly differ, rightly or wrongly. Sometimes I think wrongly, but um, we we want to raise money but we want to raise awareness as well yeah. and when we're asked what's more important i go for awareness every day of the week Definitely. now that might be wrong but yeah to try and get a message out there of, of actually it's it's okay you know and we hear it a lot it's okay not to be okay mm. you know be brave enough to put up your hand then if we can if we can do something a little bit different we're going to raise more awareness so hence we came up with kind of uh, the initially um, five challenges um, to do. The first one was, um, and which has been done by Steve, which was a great Glenway in Scotland, which is running. It was, 100, it was 70, 
two miles. It was 120k, 72 miles from Inverness to Fort William along the Great Glenway. So you start at Inverness Castle. Yeah, I've heard of it, I think. Go on, tell me about it though. So uh, Inverness faces Moray uh, Firth. You leave Inverness Castle, you follow the river, um, and then you end up climbing out on what they call the Old Military Road, which takes you on the Great Glenway across to Loch Ness, Loch Oik, and Loch Lochy. And then you run down the Caledonian Canal into Fort William. 120k. <laughs> so <laughs> this was our launch event. I was spoke there was there was supposed to be two of us doing it, and we were gonna we were gonna mimic the shift patterns that we're doing on the boat when we do the Atlantic row. So on the Atlantic row, we row for two hours, we all rest for two hours. So two hours on, two hours off. Um, as a pair, team of four, obviously you swap out, two rest and two row. So I was going to run for two hours, my upper was going to run for two hours, and we would we would consume those 120k. At the time, uh, the guy I was going to do it with, um, he was a commercial diver offshore, um, COVID struck, he said, I can't come back. So I'm stuck out here at sea. This is two weeks into the start, so I'm like, thanks for that. So now we've got a launch event that we've publicised that we said we're going to do, and it's a case of this is where we kind of nail colours to the mast, and I was like, right, I've got to do it. So um, I had a very good backup driver, um, Tony Peach, retired sports physio, who literally kept me on my feet. And um, I did that with about two hours sleep, and in just under 24 hours, wasn't it? Oh, God. Yeah, left in Vanessa 10.30 That's Tuesday morning. Do you know what? It, it was emotional. There were times when I was running and it was euphoric. It was, uh, I was sad, I was happy. But you get to a stage where, you know, the cadence of your running and I could have been anywhere. And and all sorts of things came back. It was very therapeutic, I suppose, in a way, for me. A lot of people um, say, fine now, especially with the marathons and the bits and pieces, you get to that euphoric stage and yeah. you're there then and that's sort of their happy place. And that's what Absolutely. I'm doing. And yeah, you know, beautiful surroundings, middle of the Scottish summer, didn't really get dark, you know, two, three in the morning. It was still, I could still see where I was going. So so we did that. And then Simon, you did. So we, uh, myself and, and three others, we, I think it was in 2019, we uh, swam the channel as the four-person relay. And then that was as, as a precursor to kind of then the, the, our next event. Um, and it was the, the London to Paris uh, triathlon. So... Unfortunately, the the channel, um, you know, the weather was was bad, so we we, we couldn't actually do. We we done it the year before. We couldn't do it that year. So we then, and, and obviously COVID shut down for us. So yeah, yeah. we then we then had a, a debate as to were, were we going to finish and, and not do it, or were we going to do it? So in the end, we did. We did the distances. So we ran uh, the distance from uh, Marble Arch in London to Salisbury. And then uh, cycled Salisbury a roundabout route to Plymouth, and then did the swim off of the home. So we did the distances um, of, of doing of doing that, yeah. and kind of ticked off our, our second event really. And then that brings us to our to our third event, uh, which is obviously a mere three thousand miles. Nothing uh, is it? Right, the Atlantic. Piss, piss it, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, so yeah. So, and what what's interesting is, and what has captured the imagination of people is is kind of what we set out to do in that this is this is number three of five the back's broken it once you this isn't it I, I, yeah i think i think it's this this is when we get to antigua yeah this is the big one this this is what people this is what people can advertise on this is what people can uh, you know it has the momentum whereas the next two uh, are slightly less so it's going to be a, a, an ultra marathon of some description in the desert or, or ice 
and then fly Mont Blanc and Pope right from the top uh, down to Chamonix. So, but this one has the kind of, I suppose, the billboard optics, and that's why we've used it um, as sort of on a crestful wave to, to really publicise what we're doing in terms of the, um, the two charities um, and raising awareness and money for, for that. Which I suppose brings us on to the two charities. I've done, I wanted to do some charity work uh, here in Plymouth, and a few years ago now I teamed up with Chestnut Appeal. Back then it was purely uh, a men's health charity for prostate cancer, um, but they've now expanded in, into uh, testicular and PR cancer as well. Um, and again, it, it, it's kind of go along the same lines of, of actually, we, we don't, if there's something wrong, if we, if we feel there's something wrong, we, we, don't, we don't early go, go to a GP, go to a doctor, go and get some, someone to look at it. And again, one of the things that we, we stress is that if you actually talk to women and say, um, if I was to say to you, how often do you check your breasts for lunch? Most women would say often because it's become the norm. If you mention the word breasts and about checking them for, for, for lumps, no one bats an eyelid, but they, they really don't. Yeah. If you then talk about blokes checking their testicles or, you know, what about your bowel movements or what about your going, you know, how many times you go to the loo, then we kind of, again, we take a step back. And we you tell them to fuck away. off and you stop being a prick. Exactly. And we, so, we see it when we talk to people, like I say, we've had the boat all over the country for the summer. And, Have um, you been offering prostate exams? Uh, no, we don't do that. Uh, we haven't got enough rubber gloves. <laughs> Just on that, um, the PSA test now is so simple. It's a finger prick. It is no longer an, embed, um, an invasive finger up the bum. Yeah. Some people are disappointed by that, but there we go. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go. So, no, and, and, you know, this is the way we talk to people. You know, we try and break it down. We try and make it lighthearted and say, guys, come on. But the minute you start talking about it, you know, say there's like us three that approach us at an event, they all turn to each other, sort of laughing, they get embarrassed, or like, oh, yeah, look a finger up your ass, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's not about that. Well, it is. It's about breaking that ban and having a laugh about it, but getting the message across. Yeah, exactly. And we've had some great experiences. Um, someone about the chest appeal at the Royal Cornwall show, the guy that came up and met So, yeah, so um, we, we go to these events, we wear a t shirt or a polo shirt, and um, we wore polo shirts. and. Uh, a gentleman came up and um, he started talking to a couple of us and he, he just said, look, um, I know the chestnut, the chestnut pill. We have the logo um, on, the, on the shirts, yeah. you know. And, and, and so Matt called me over and he said, oh, he knows about the charity. I said, oh, do you work for He said, no, no, no. He said, um, I kind of used them. Okay. So he, he um, and a group of mates um, were booked in to go to a rugby club uh, where they're doing the PSA testing. And then last minute he couldn't attend. I think for a family reason. So his mates went and had it done. So he was basically cajoled by his wife into going again, um, but this time he went on his own. And he just said the idea of going there to, to have this was really quite quite worrying. And, and he said stupidly, but he walked into the rugby club and it was, it was absolutely full, full of blokes, just blokes in there, all going to get a check and the PSA check. So so yes, we, we started talking to him and he went in and he didn't have any symptoms. He just went because it was a group of lads who, who decided to go and do it. And um, the normal kind of reading when it came when it comes back is, is between one and four, and his was at seventeen. So he, you know, so he was like, wow. So and, and he went and, and he, he had surgery um, at Derryville Hospital. Um, he said, this, yeah, the, the 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 care there was was second to none. The surgery was, was fantastic. So yeah, so he got the result back when when I had surgery, um, very successful surgery and um, had some help um, from the chest up here. So we, we, we spent, I don't know, half an hour maybe talking, just a, a, a generally interesting guy 
who um, was just interested in what we're doing, but obviously the, his backstory was was amazing. So next day, uh, which I think the last day, a guy came up to Matt and said, oh, I know the Chestnut Hill. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, good. And he said, yeah, I, I work for them. I will work with them. And Matt was like, oh, okay, are you a fundraiser? No, I'm one of the surgeons um, who um, who does the uh, does the procedures at Derrick. So we started talking, and the day before, um, the gentleman who, who was raving about the surgeon had mentioned the name. So we asked him his name, and it turned out to be, to be the surgeon who, who'd done it. So he told the story and said, said you know, um, look, this is who he is, because I'm sure he won't mind. And, and he goes, yeah, yeah, remember him? Yeah, you know. And it's just simple things like that um, that, that is just, yeah. We meet, we, you meet lots of people, but it's, um, as Steve said, especially the prostate stuff, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's just... You can survive, you can get it, survive really easily, but you need to get it early, you need to do something about it. But it's, um, you know, it's interesting, yesterday, I just looked on the phone, Bill Turnbull, BBC presenter, yeah. uh, of prostate cancer. And it's one of those things that, that people don't need to dial. Yeah. You know, you can get treatment early on, a very successful treatment, and um, and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just getting the word out there. It's, it's you know, you, we were saying earlier on what's more important than doing the race or getting awareness. It's one of those things where, I suppose, though it'd be, it'd be heartbreaking and, and probably break you mentally if you didn't finish whatever you set out to do, but whether you change one person's, a hundred people's, you know, a thousand people's lives, that's that's a cause well done, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, Simon said earlier, you know, we were saying about the, the financial side of it, it's great to raise the money for the charities, but like at these events, if one, or someone listening to this, if one person who's listening to this can relate in some way or thinks, you know, whether they've got any kind of symptoms of prostate cancer, which, you know, talk about in a minute um or the mental health side of it if they then go and self-refer or they ask someone else for help that's not job done happy we'd rather that one person do that than someone give us 25 quid every day of the week because that that's a life saved yeah exactly it is it's absolutely so so training what have you been doing or not been doing (laughs) so yeah it's it's kind of it's yeah How, how how do you train to run ocean so there are um, you get running desks. You've got a rowing desk. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I work. At, my office is a car. So, so, so yeah. So, it's, but it's really interesting because lots of people ask. Um, you know, what, what are you doing? And and it's just a combination of lots of things. And the biggest misnomer for me was when we started training for it. So, finished the triathlon training, bounced into rowing training, and all I did was jump on an erg jump on a row machine and, and, and just go battles and forwards, battles and forwards until I heard a podcast um, from the Ocean Road Society and, and one of the, the rowers who'd done a number of things just said the first thing, you know, advice to, to rowers, he said, throw out the oak. And I was like, okay, so, 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 so why is that? Um, I then met um, a young lad, actually, um, Dan Plymouth. He'd gone to uh, Plymouth University, Amardons, and he'd rode, or sorry, he'd done a, a, a pair across the, the North Atlantic. And um, and he said, yeah, just, I, I did crossfit. Um, so- Everything, strength, cardio. Yeah, it, it's- Functional fitness. It, 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 it's, re- it's really interesting. And and so I, you know, hearing about crossfit, goodness me, um, yeah. <coughs> it's, it's just, crossfit is just, it's, it's just, a, it ha- has a reputation. It has a reputation. Um, I've done it and I loved it. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I was really worried 
about going to a CrossFit gym. Yeah, that stigma comes with it, it's horrendous. It is. And how do you know a guy does CrossFit? He'll tell you. He'll tell you, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And then you, you know, you watch, you hear about CrossFit, so you, you go on the social media and, and, and see these, see the athletes and they're just machines. You then, within the police, there's some police teams, military teams, there's, the, you know, people in Plymouth and they're just machines. So I went down to one in Plymouth uh, called Pantheon, which is run by a guy called Ben Woodham, who's an ex uh, Royal Marine PTI. And you know what? As a police officer, I think I'm fairly confident. And actually, walking through a door is not difficult. Well, I can tell you, because it's me walking through that, that the front door of Pantheon was just, yeah, it's one of the hardest things I genuinely, as an ego, uh, for my ego, as a confidence, just all these emotions. And actually, when you go in and, and sort of go in and, and the first, walk into Ben's gym the stairs going up you turn left and there's a big it's a big room and there's a bloke training there and a girl next next next, next to him both were athletes they were, they were literally I, I looked at them they were just they were just machines and they they stopped and, and the first thing they said was alright friendly aren't they and I was like mental yeah. and I was like hi and they said oh you know um, are you come to train I was like to be honest no I've just come down to look at it and I'm like okay well him and then pointed to it was Ben Warren, the owner, um, who was training himself. And um, and yeah, so but over I went and yeah, yeah, and we just got talking and and always uh, do well, didn't they? Yes. I found CrossFit um very much the same as when I started doing triathlon and stuff like that. Everyone wants to do well for themselves. Yeah. Everyone wants you to do well. Yeah. That's what we like. Yeah, it's just it's it's, it's like the, isn't it? It's like the ocean roam world. We're all out there. I mean, you know, we're in a race against forty two other teams this year. We're all competing against each other. But everyone wants to see everyone do it, complete yeah. it, and get to Antigua. So we we're on the phone this morning to somebody saying, "Look, is there anything you need? How can how can you help? How can we help you?" You know, so it's great. But no, I mean, CrossFit. There's a there's a whole new species of super fit <laughs> people out there. And I had the same experience. Um, Four Kings CrossFit down in Weybridge. Uh, John O'Whitehead that runs that. You walk in there, and my first class, you know, it was like, can everyone welcome Steve? He's a new member. Everybody stopped, clapped their hands, welcome, came over, shook my hand. And it's like, for me, I suppose it's similar to that kind of military yeah. family, police family. And, and yeah, everyone was super friendly. And it is, it's a great way of training. Yeah. But yeah, it's... It I, I, joined, I, I, I used to pay, well, I still, I've still i gone back there because of the price, but I used to pay £12 a month for a gym. I'd go in there, mince the rain for an hour and leave. Yeah. Like, this is not getting me where I want to be. I then went to CrossFit and left like PTR just thrashing around the drill hall for a couple of, you know, for a couple of hours. I was like, that's what I needed. Exactly. I want, you know, I want a jelly legs, I want a jelly yeah. arms. And, and I got it. But, yeah. but certainly for the row, it's, it does everything. You know, you've got the functional fitness, you've got the weights, you've got the, uh, you've got the cardio. You come away from there feeling absolutely ring bolted, you know, absolutely knackered. But, but, but it's, it's really interesting though, talk, talking to the coaches down there uh, and then talking to other other rowers of a similar age, I guess, and, and ability. They said mobility, yeah. stretching, be my, you know, and, and I I literally, so so this two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I went down to other coaches and, and I booked, booked him and, uh, and he, we did a mobility session. Yeah. Yoga, yoga, yeah, yoga, yeah. So those things that, that again, you know, would never really no. words would never come into. In, in You'd still be sat around now doing doing two yeah, hours exactly. or whatever it is. Absolutely. Rowers on YouTube. Row is yeah. great for knowing how your ass is going to feel after two hours sat back. <laughs> when you're on the boat, as we found out, 
nine out of ten times, you're never going to get both the oars in the water at the same time. The boat's going to be pitching, rolling, yawing. It's going to be all over the place. So you can't concentrate on your stroke. Yes, you can go through the, the, the physical mechanics of it, but it's never going to be like that on the ocean. And rowing that thing out there is not the same as a row machine, is it? Anyway? No, not at all. No, no, no. No, no. no not at all. No, it, 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 it does a job. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. It's good for that. But for me, it's just about, uh, yeah, mobility. Speaking to, to people, it's, yeah, the strength work is, is good, endurance work is good, but it's all about mobility for me. So, so yeah, so you know, answer your question, kind of a combination of, really, um, trying to fit in getting out on the water as a team. Yeah, you can't beat the, uh, excuse the pun here, but the physical road work. You want to get cycle fit, you get on the road. And yeah, absolutely, yeah. And you do absolutely. the same road. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But we've had to train in other things. Just it's like you know, the boat hasn't got a toilet, so how do how do you get a toilet at sea? And it is literally bucket and chuck it. Yeah. It's a case of you know you've got to get Ross actually again to quote him comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, but it's like you've got to. There's going to be times when I'm going to have blisters and balls on my ass that Simon's going to have to treat. Yeah. So you've got to get used to being naked around each other. You've got to get used to taking a dump in front of each other. The smells, the sounds, everything. So you've got to train for that. Training how to eat, how to cook, how to sleep, how to operate. Have you done anything about eating when you're training and stuff like that? Because obviously you've, you've only got two hours between rest and, rest and work. That's not a long time for, for grub to go down or... No, so again, the, the, we've, we've talked to length and we've, we've tried different methods of cooking and because yeah, within that two hours off, you kind of, you need to do a number of things. Everyone says, oh, is that when you sleep? Well, it is, yes. But we've been... You've been an hour of sleeping, really, haven't you? The time you've yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's but, not yeah. like who are rowing because they probably need a drink or something. So, yeah, exactly. You need, you, need, you need to do lots of things. You need to look after yourself. That that for me is the I will get across if I look after myself. Yeah. yeah. So that means for me, one of the first things is stretching, so stretching and keeping that mobility. Then, person, you know, literally washing. If we, you know, you, you need to clean yourself. Otherwise, as we know, you know, infections will come up, and 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 poor personal admin is not an excuse, really. You know, you, you, you just need you've got to, time to do it. you've got time to do it. So it's, um, so do that. You've then got to get enough food and drink down you and then you've got to sleep. So that comes down to though, what are we doing? Are we going to race or are we going to kind of experience? And, and that's a big question that, we, that we've talked about. So our boat is a traditional design boat. So it's not as fast, we've been told, as, as some of the other boats in the fleet, i.e. the, um, the Rannick built boats for lots of different reasons. So therefore, my thing I, I first said to Steve is, is we're going to go for the winner of the race. I want to be an overall winner of the whole race. So being competitive, ultra competitive, that's what, it's a race, that's what I want to do. And actually, we've had many discussions, and Steve is, is always coming at it from a different angle. So, you know, is he competitive? Uh, probably. Is he as competitive as me? I don't know, but he's always come at it from a different angle and brought something else to the table that actually, what is the likelihood of us winning the race? And it's not, you know, and that was, that, it's taken me a long time to get my head around You've that we're not going to... Yes. So what, what are we going to do? Because actually, if we spend those two hours not resting, but doing kind of everything else, or just resting, then, it, yeah, we, we're not going to make it. Um, so we've decided, I think, I think now, is that right? I think we've decided as a team. I'm still, yeah, nervous about it. But I think we've decided we're, um, we want to be competitive, but... It gives people the run for the money. But 
we want to kind of enjoy it as well. We want, it's an experience. It balls the wall, and then three days later, I think, fuck, we should have done that. Yeah. And then you're going to pay for it for a week, 10 days. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. There's two classes in the race. There's a race class, which is for uh, all boats of a similar class, which are mainly the ranks. Yeah. And then there's the open class, which is all boats who aren't rank ranks. So we're in the open class. Yeah. Um, it would be nice to win that. It would be lovely to win that. But, yeah. uh, you know, we've had this conversation. If a pod of dolphins comes along, are you just to carry on rowing and going, oh, they're nice? Or yeah. are you going to stop, get out the boat, go for a swim with the dolphins? I'm going to swim with the dolphins. You've been left behind, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I was very fortunate. I did the the 2009-10 Clipper round the world yacht race, yeah. and yeah, very, very, very fortunate. All of it, um, and I distinctly remember. I always, I always talk about it. Is is that just finished a um, a watch, came down, got into my bunk, and someone shouted um, during the day. So shouted our oh, dolphins. So I, I was in my bunk, and I, I shouted up, "How many?" And they said two. I was like, no, I'm not interested. Because literally dolphins were, were literally, uh, you know, okay. yeah, the, uh, I remember the, the whole scene being covered with this, a super pod of dolphins. And I actually then said to my, I remember thinking to myself, right, get a grip, because actually in how many months' time you're going to be back to work and how often are you going to see dolphins? Yeah. So actually get out of bed, go, go up and... Things, dolphins, yeah, right? definitely. And that was a real kind of, I recount it because I think that's, to me is going to be quite important that actually you have yeah definitely and actually if we don't think we're going to win because of a different style boat maybe the age of us for example um compared to others then actually let's enjoy it let's look back at it and go do you know what i really enjoyed that you can you can graft and enjoy at the same time yeah absolutely and i think that that that's really important that we actually do every day we, we kind of um have a half an hour an hour whatever it is maybe less, but just checking in to see how everyone's doing, making sure everyone's okay. Um, because there's some, some days it's going to be really bad for some people and other, other days it'll be okay. And it's that roller coaster of, on a daily basis. But actually, let's just try and enjoy it, try and experience it, enjoy it, and get to the other side safely and tick it off and say we've done it. We all want to take something different from it. I mean, you know, Simon's got his reasons, I've got mine. And, you know, part of the underlying thing about Status Code 14, and I'll talk about the name in a minute, why we are called Status Code 14, is we see it going forward and being a platform so that other people who have been through mental health struggles that may have been through cancer treatment and, and have survived and have lost a little bit of themselves along the way can do something similar to what we've done and use it as a vehicle to go out and say, do you know what, I'm back. I can do what I used to do before and I'm better. I'm better than I was before. If we can facilitate that and help people to do it, that's where we see Status Code 14 going forward. Exactly. Uh, I suppose we haven't even talked about Rock Recovery, our second, our second charity, actually, no, so no. Probably, probably, it'd probably be a good time to, to just, talk about that. Yeah, just very quickly. So I said I had the EMDR treatment, yeah. um, which was great. I had about 12, 15 sessions of that, longer than I thought it would take. But um, it helped to reprogram the thoughts I was having, put everything back into the box and give me ways of dealing with it. About probably... Four to six months after my last session, and again, came away from it thinking I was fixed. Another big emotional moment in my life, something had happened and I needed help again. By this time, we'd already established ourselves as a team. We'd already, already chosen our charities, one of which being Rock to Recovery. And I was on the phone to one of the, um, she's the office manager actually, a lady called Carly, and um, we were having a conversation like this. She asked me a question and immediately there was a tremor in my voice. She could hear I was becoming emotional. She's very very perceptive. She picked up on it and said, um, you're not right. 
She said, do you want to speak to one of our coaches? They don't call them counsellors, they're coaches, life coaches. I didn't want to. I was like, no, 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 I'm fixed. I'm absolutely brilliant. And she said, no, you're not. And I said, no, I am. I'm absolutely fine. So I put the phone down, phoned her back, and I was in tears. I said, yes, I need to speak to yeah. And um, so that was my first experience with Rock to Recovery. Very different to any other kind of counselling that I'd had. I've only had two sessions, but there's been follow-up stuff afterwards from my coach. And um, it's very different. It's a very different way of treating people, engaging with people. I find it the best way. It's, it's very much about, it's almost like self-discovery. A lot of the stuff that I have suffered with wasn't necessarily to do with the police force or stuff that I dealt with. It's a long, long way back to my childhood that yeah, yeah. I never even thought of. But um, in the actual coaching sessions I had, this was this was drawn out and something I'd something right, insignificant when I was a child, massive impact all the way through my life. Yeah. I look back now and I can see why. I can absolutely see why that I was like I was. And um, yeah, they are a phenomenal charity. Yeah, it's again, it, it was it was all spot from the incident with Steve and. and um, Trying to find a charity who dealt with mental health. They're not actually a charity. They're a CIC, Community Interest Company. Okay. Um, but who uh, <coughs> were experienced in dealing with, I suppose, incidents that spark PTSD, stress, anxiety, um, in a similar vein to that which police officers um, and emergency services, so fire service and, and uh, an average service, just multiple trauma come across. Um, all started through, you know, with, with, with the military. Um, so two founders are ex, ex royal Marines, and, and and that was when we spoke to them. We spoke to a few um, who, who claimed they they were um, dealing with PTSD and, and the uh, emergency services already, and they kind of said, "Yeah, it's an area that we're looking to go into, or just started to put the toe in the water." And since then, have expanded uh, massively in, into the emergency services, and they offer they offer something different. Um, so Rock, um, we spoke to Rock and, and they they said, yes, you know, we can, um, if, if you, basically, what, what do you want us to do? If you want to raise awareness, that's fantastic. If you want to raise money, we can actually then save that and then put it to one side. So to use with, with people who perhaps don't want to go through occupational health and, and the, sort of the former side. And but they've expanded so much within, in, especially the police. Um, they'll now take on those who, who declare their police officers as services. And, and they're just down to earth people who, who, who can approach. And if you speak to, I suppose it is the kind of the, the founder. Uh, they'll they'll take on anyone and then deal with it, the kind of the, the financial fallout and fallout, etc. Afterwards, it, it, it's um, it, which is, which is quite. Odd, really, in terms it's backwards, of it's a backwards way of making money, isn't it? It is, and 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 actually, you, you say, well, that's probably not the best business model, yeah. but they're not really worried about that in terms of they they kind of the ethic and the thinking is that if they do good, then it will come good. They're subject um, focus, yeah, so yeah. they concentrate on you and then worry about the rest afterwards, which is which is the way everybody should. Be. Yeah, I'm saying. So meeting them, hearing them, and speaking to them, then it, it was a no-brainer. They they would come on. Our second charity, yeah, um, and um, and yeah, we, we're uh, seeing results of, of their labours. We, we yeah. We're in, yeah, it's it's you know having that personal connection as well. You realise exactly what it's like and the benefit that it can make. It's it's changed my life absolutely. Yeah. You know, a good news point to take away from I suppose is yeah, I I, I feel like I'm the best version of myself I've ever been. 
if I hadn't gone through the process, I wouldn't be where I am now. So whilst it was the most horrific thing to go through, change it, bear in mind everything that I've been through, all the nastiness, the, the negativity, those suicidal thoughts, we want to call them. It was, no, to be here now and be able to do what we can do for others, it's, yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world. I would not change it for the world. Very quickly, the name Status Code 14. So a big correlation between what we found was obviously people suffering or that have gone through perhaps cancer treatment, um, they, their effect on their mental health as well can be as significant as someone just suffering from it, just with the sort of PTSD, anxiety, depression side of it because of that whole male stigma thing. I've lost my manhood. I'm not the man I used to be, you know, post-operational, you know, whatever. Um, so when people are going through that, they need help. They need advice. They need someone to speak to. They need someone to give them a call and say, look, mate, um, this is where you're going. You are going to be all right. So within the police um, and send the military service, the fire service, paramedics, NHS, whoever, we use radios. Um, to cut down an airtime and clutter, we use codes to say different things. So within the police, I suppose the most common is um, code zero. Obviously, we need, you know, help. I'm, I'm being attacked. I'm being shot, stabbed. I'm in a fight, whatever. Um, code 11 means you're going off duty. Code 6 means you're going for lunch. Um, status code 14 means that the officer that sent that wants someone to call them back and give them immediate advice on the phone. Or they need to speak to someone as soon as possible to get advice, to tell them what to do. Simon came up with the idea and it was like, absolutely fits. No brainer. Let's, let's use it. And because people don't know what it means, they say, what the other state is code for deeply? I mean, you know, we've been called status quo. I know that. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, they, which is good because it's a talking point. You know? Yeah. It gets no, people exactly. talking, so. Thank you very much, Guy, for doing it. It's much appreciated. Good luck with all the endeavours. That little row you've got to do for nothing. <laughs> and um, I shall be watching. Brilliant. And if people do want to watch or follow us, um, the Instagram is status code 14. Same on Facebook. We've got a website, statuscode14.com. There is a GoFundMe page up there for anyone who wants to or may like to um, help us along with the journey. And that is simply status code 14 on GoFundMe. You'll find us on there. You've been listening to the Outdoor Man Podcast. We're glad you're here. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Find us on Twitter at Podcast Outdoor, on Instagram, Outdoor underscore Man underscore Podcast, on Facebook, Outdoor Man Podcast, and you can even reach us by email, dan at outdoorman.uk. Let us know your outdoor questions and be sure to tag us when you're outside living your best life. Until next time, be the example.